morning. Again, John chapter 4. Um, last week we saw, in the last few weeks, or I should say a few weeks before last week, last week we were in the book of Matthew, but we saw the Lord, remember, um, leaving Jerusalem, going back up to Galilee, going by the way of Samaria, where Jews normally didn't go. There was great odds between the Jews and the Samaritans, and yet the Lord absolutely said that he must go that way. And remember, we saw that he found a woman there who uh, had religion, but she did not have the Lord, and she was uh, deep into sin, really uh, above her head. And the Lord went to her. And the Lord ministered to her, and the Lord talked to her about living water, and talked to her about salvation. And we saw that not only did she respond to that call to Jesus, uh, the Christ, but she went out on her first missionary journey, really right after she came to faith in Him. And I believe that's seen in the picture, and that she leaves her water pot behind. And that's, remember, how the conversation started with natural water. And then the Lord talked to her about living water and spiritual water. And she left that behind and went there into the city to tell the men about the gospel. And she said, I think I found the Christ. He's told me everything about my life. And then, remember, they began to come to the Lord. And as they were coming to the Lord, remember, the disciples were there. And during this time, they'd been out getting lunch. And they were more concerned about lunch than the Lord and the ministry. And the Lord had to tell them, listen, you need to look up. The fields widen to harvest and the laborers are few. And it seems when he said that, that the field had these Samaritans coming in from the city out to hear the words of Jesus. And he encouraged them, come and be part of the harvest. And uh, boy, what a reminder that we need on a continual basis. Uh, lunch is a good thing, but it should not supersede the Lord. And God wants us to be about His business and know that there is a harvest right around us uh, that is white. And uh, to be praying for labors for that harvest, and then also be uh, about the business that God has called us to be in prayer and evangelism and using our gifts to His glory. So after that, again, he's in Jerusalem, he goes through Samaria, and this morning we see him going all the way back up to Cana of Galilee, where he had performed his first public miracle, and we'll talk about that again this morning and turning the water into the wine. And as he's there this morning, we're going to see that a man from Capernaum, actually a nobleman, a man of, real, of royalty, had a sick son, and he came down to Jesus, crying out to the Lord for a healing. And we're going to talk about that, imploring the Lord, and coming to the Lord with our burdens. And then we're going to see him, again, stepping out in faith in this, and we're going to look at the healing hand of the Lord, and talk about, you know, God's healing hand, and, you know, sometimes it's his will to heal, and other times in this life, uh, it's not but absolutely, listen, there is a greater healing available from the Lord, uh, from the disease called sin that is of far more importance. And beautifully, when we put our faith in Him and forgiveness of our sins, we know that day is coming that, listen, these tents are going to be transformed and praise God in glory. There's going to be no more sickness or sorrow or pain or suffering, and it will be a glorious day. We're also this morning going to, Lord willing, venture into the first part of chapter 5 and see another healing. We're going to see Jesus going back up to Jerusalem for another feast. And there being a man there who was sick for 38 years. And he's by the pool of Bethesda. And boy, there's an interesting passage here of the healings that would take place there. And the Lord having to ask him, though, if he wanted to be healed. And uh, he's there by this pool thinking he can get healing there. But the Lord asked him, do you want to be healed? 
And uh, I believe he asked him that because there's so many folks that, you know, they get in their condition and oftentimes it's even in a state of sin and it begins to become their crutch and their identity and so forth. And the Lord's offering healing and the Lord's offering forgiveness and yet they really don't want that. And so uh, great things for us here this morning. And let's just start by reading verse 46 through 54 and jumping into this. And I just pray that God's glorified here in our Bible study. So it says here in verse 46, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was Now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So again, Verse 46, he comes from Jerusalem through Samaria up here to Canaan of Galilee. And then notice here, it says where he made the water wine. And it's interesting that, you know what, that miracle would be mentioned a second time. Because, you know, comparatively, you know, water to wine absolutely is a miracle and uh, shows the hand of God. But comparatively, you know what? turning water into wine versus raising the dead and casting out demons and, you know, at healing a sick child on their deathbed that we just read about seems very small in comparison. And yet it's mentioned again a second time here in the book of John. And not often are miracles that Jesus performed mentioned a second time. And I believe the reason this is mentioned a second time is because, again, perhaps it's a smaller miracle in comparison to others, But absolutely, it is a reminder of the bigger picture of why Christ came, because that miracle of turning the water into wine is the picture, again, of the new covenant, of the Lord bringing forth the cup of the new covenant in His blood shed for us. And it's also a reminder to us of really the main point of the book, that Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ came to lay down his life for us as we started there in the first chapter where it talks about uh, in the beginning, you know, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And remember, it goes on to talk about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we read there, read there in John 1, 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And that verse talks about, again, the old covenant and the new covenant. That first covenant with Israel, again, where the Lord gave them his law. And yet we read throughout the word and we look at the law itself and we see that the law is not the means to salvation. If you think you're going to be saved by keeping the law, listen, you're sorely mistaken because none of us can keep the law of God and God's, again, standard is utter perfection and we utterly fall short of it over and over and over again. 
It's also interesting that Moses, and we talked about this in great detail back there in chapter 2. Remember Moses' first miracle when he went before Pharaoh was turning the water into blood. Remember he said, the Lord said, let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, well, I don't know you or I don't know you. I don't know your God and so forth. And so Moses says, well, you're going to see the power of God. And the water there is turned into blood. But remember, it didn't bring forth life, but instead it killed the fish there in the Nile River. And it's a picture of the law. The law doesn't bring forth life. It brings forth death. And yet Christ came to give life. Christ came to bring the new covenant, the water to the wine. It's the picture of the new covenant. Even as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we drink that wine in remembrance of his blood spilled for us. Hebrews 8, 7 puts it like this. For if that first covenant had been faultless, that no place would have been sought for a second. But finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And again, that new covenant was established through Jesus Christ shedding his blood that brings forth life by his grace through faith in him when we come to call upon his name and ask him to be the Lord of our life. So again, we start here as he goes back to Galilee with that reminder of Jesus turning that water into wine, and it's reminded to us of the new covenant. Let me ask you this morning, are you a partaker of the new covenant? Is he your Lord and Savior? Can you say amen to that today? That's something to rejoice in. And again, it's that gospel truth that the Lord wants us to be sharing with the world around us. It's the good news message of Jesus Christ and the most important news in the whole world. So as he returns there to Cana, it says there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And uh, we read here that uh, the news had spread that he was there in Canaan, and this man in Capernaum, uh, which is about 20 miles away, came down to bring this news to Jesus. And we'll see in a minute, he implores the Lord to heal his son. Now it's interesting, again, it doesn't just say a certain man, but a certain nobleman. And a nobleman would be a man who is of, of, of royal uh, you know, descent. He is part of, uh, seems in some way, uh, Herod's family and some sort of relation to King Herod, um, most likely. He, he could have been a Gentile and it could have been on Caesar's side and some connection there. Either way, we know that he was a, a man of you know, a renowned, a man uh, who was, again, uh, known as royalty. Uh, that would impress most men. It's not uh, impressive to God because anyone in that place of authority and so forth is put in that place by the Lord. And everything we have is a gift from God. And we see as well that, uh, you know, it's sickness and sin because we'll see as we go through this that not only... Uh, did this man's son need to be healed? But the whole family was lost because we see they come to faith in the Lord. And what we see here is that sickness and sin, it shows no partiality whatsoever. Because look at who the Lord ministered to right before this. Remember that woman at the well who the Lord said, bring your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. And the Lord said, you spoke well. You've had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not your husband. We saw that she came out in the middle of the day to get water, which was a picture that she was an outcast there in their, 
you know, a community. And so, you know, you got the nobleman on one spectrum of respected by men and known and so forth. And then you have this woman at the well at the other one, and they're both outcasts. And yet they're both marked and marred with sin as transgressors of God's law. You'll see this as well with, again, on the physical side, here's this nobleman imploring the Lord for healing for his son. And then how many times as we go through the scripture where we see outcasts, whether it's blind Bartimaeus and his friend outside of Jericho crying out to Jesus for healing and everyone else telling them to shut their mouth because, again, they're outcasts in the society or Legion and his friend that are, you know, banned out to the tombs outside of Gadara there, and yet the Lord going to find them. And what we see here is that sickness and sin, it shows no partiality whatsoever. Whether you're a nobleman or you're, you know, no one's man, we are all sinners that have fallen short of God's glory. And absolutely, the wages of sin is death. And all of us in this life at some point are going to experience sickness. Um, you know what, and all of that really is the result of Adam's rebellion there in the garden. As God said, if you eat of that tree, everything's going to change. Death is going to set in. And there might be some people, they live their whole life without sickness. And, you know, they might say, I never missed a day of school. I never missed a day at work. But the day is going to come when you're going to miss the next day and you're going to be in the grave. And it's the greatest sickness of all, right? When your heart quits beating and you pass away. And in all of this, in, in, in sickness and even more so in sin, listen, we all need Jesus Christ. And it takes one seeing how sick they really are to call upon his name. And unfortunately, there's many individuals, they refuse to acknowledge that sickness. And when I talk about that, I'm putting more of the emphasis on sin, which is the greater sickness. Again, we saw last week as we were out there in Sunken Gardens, the Lord declaring, what's a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What's a profit a man if he has 90 years of perfect health and yet he dies and he perishes in his sin, not having called upon Christ and spends eternity in a place called hell? And this nobleman and his family, they had a greater sickness than the son being at the point of death. They had the sickness of sin and they needed forgiveness and they needed to be washed and they needed to have right standing with the living God. And listen, that's who the Lord came to minister to. In Mark 2, 15, it's very interesting. It says, now it happened as he was dining at Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him uh, eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to the disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And yet, listen, these guys were thieves and sinners themselves. And verse 17, it says, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, notice here, but sinners to repentance. And these guys were all sick. The problem was the scribes and Pharisees, they couldn't see it because of their self-righteousness. And really the first step to come to Christ is seeing that I'm sick. I'm not right with the living God. And again, that law that we just talked about is the doctor that diagnoses us as sinners that have fallen short. It is that tutor to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ, to bring us to that place of saying, yes, Lord, I need to be forgiven and I want to repent. I want to turn from being my own Lord and I want to ask you to be the Lord 
of my life. And it isn't awesome that Jesus came not to condemn sinners, but he came to again heal them and to call them to that salvation. And it comes through again repentance through faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Also again notice they're in Canaan and this man comes from Capernaum. And Capernaum is 20 miles away, which nowadays, you know, that's not long to travel. You know, that's like from here to San Luis or Avila Beach or here to San Miguel, 20 miles, you know, here a little past Creston, not a long way to go. But listen, back in those days, they didn't have the convenience of, uh, you know, a car or a you know, at a, 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 you know, at a motorcycle, whatever. Yeah, you could ride a horse. And I imagine as a nobleman, he could have got a chariot and some people to ride him in. And oh, God, here comes the nobleman. Get out of the way and so forth. Uh, but think about it. His son lies sick at the point of death. And so most people, even again, 20 miles for them, which would be like maybe a trip to LA for us. The last thing they would want to do would leave their son's side and go on this journey. And yet this man was willing to do this. We'll talk more about that and his faith in that here in a minute. But what I see is a guy here that was willing to go to some lengths to intercede for his child, to intercede for, again, his son's sickness, to intercede really for his soul, even though perhaps at the beginning he didn't know he was doing that. And as we go through this, we'll talk about again, and we already touched on the fact that, you know, it's sickness and sin shows no partiality. And again, this man seeing the sickness goes to some lengths to intercede to go to Christ and leaving him and being willing to travel these 20 miles in an ancient time to go all the way to Canaan. And let me ask you this morning, what lengths are you willing to go to to intercede for others? And what I talk about here is not so much even traveling on the distance to go, but we have a greater means for intercession in that we can go right into our prayer closet and intercede. But is that something that, you know what, we do? Or is that something that we ignore? In a minute here, we're going to see him imploring the Lord, which is a picture of prayer. And as he implores the Lord, it's not him just asking once, but imploring is a picture of asking over and over and over again. And how oftentimes do, again, we see people in sickness, we see people in sin, and yet we don't even take that step to go into our prayer closets. And I just can't tell you guys enough, and we see it throughout the scripture, the power of prayer. And it's not so much us praying, but listen, we're going to the living God who made us and laid down his life for us and is the great physician. And how many times do we put him off and make him the last, you know, a, a resource versus being the first. And I just can't encourage you enough uh, listen, to be going to uh, your prayer closet and interceding for others. And yes, to do that, it means that we have to go to some lengths. It means we have to put some other things down. It means we need to, you know, make time to get before the Lord. But listen, it's time that we'll never regret. None of us on Judgment Day will stand before God and say, you know what, I just really think I spent too much time praying. We're, we're, we're not going to regret that. Also, another real quick note here about Capernaum. Listen, this would become the Lord's headquarters. Uh, a few weeks back, we saw that the scribes and Pharisees were already rejecting him in Judea. Remember, he talked about how a, a prophet uh, was without honor in his own country. And so he left Judea, who went back up to Galilee. And if you look at, you know, at the different gospels, we see at one point he went back to Nazareth where he was raised and he was rejected there as well. In fact, they tried to drive him off the cliff. And so he would go to Capernaum, and that would be the Lord's headquarters for his three, three and a half years 
of public ministry here on the earth. Uh, what's very interesting is at the end of that time in verse uh, 23 of Matthew 11, Jesus would say, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than you. And, you know, as I studied this, it's just I know this is kind of a side note, but I felt oppressed on my heart to share this this morning out of a way of encouragement, and that this was the Lord's ministry headquarters in Capernaum. And the Lord's saying, listen, if all these signs and wonders that were done here would have been done in Sodom, they would have repented, uh, but they've been done here. And he's basically saying, very few of you have actually repented. And I think that's where we can ask the question, does this mean the Lord failed in his ministry at Capernaum? Because so few people believe, despite all the miracles and the preaching of the gospel and so forth. And I think we would collectively answer, no, his ministry was not a failure anywhere he went. He fulfilled the call of God the Father upon his life. And listen, I want to take that and listen, use it to encourage you this morning because there's a lot of hard ground in our world today. There's a lot of hard-hearted people. Uh, Jesus talked about the love of many growing cold before he returns. And listen, if you're out one beating the pavement, sharing the gospel and handing out tracts and praying for people and so forth, you're going to find that those verses that the Lord talks about with the gate to hell being wide and many going through it and the one narrow going to life being very small, you're going to find that to be true. And oftentimes the enemy will try to use that to discourage you. Well, no one's responding. No one's getting saved. You know, no one wants to hear it. So you just need to go and be quiet and don't worry about it anymore because you're failing. Listen, you're not failing in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because every time you do that, whether anyone responds or not, there's something greater that's happening. You know what it is? Our God is being glorified. So be encouraged this morning in your ministry headquarters, okay? Verse 47. It says, and when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. I want to give you four points here with this verse, um, just when it comes to needs and ministering to them, uh, the, the need of salvation, the need of healing as well. Uh, number one, and just four things we need to keep in mind. Number one, this man saw the need. He saw that there was a need, and he sees that and that his son's at the point of death. Boy, that's a need, isn't it? When someone is at that place that they're about to die, you see the need. Do we see the need around us? I think we see the need of people sick all around us, but do we see the greater need of spiritual death? And just kind of remind you of a few weeks ago, and we touched on it this morning, are we about the business of the Lord first or the business of lunch? And we need to pray, Lord, help us to see the need. And then next we see that he saw the need, and next we see that he cared about the need. I mean, this is his son. Who doesn't care for their own children, their own son? Uh, he saw that, and when our children get sick, absolutely, we see the need. They're near to our heart. But we need to pray, Lord, help us to see, you know, the need that all have. Uh, to have that heart for all of those around us, to be merciful to people in their, you know, sickness and in their struggles, and even more so in their need for the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew five forty six, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And I want to be in that place where I see the need beyond just those I love, beyond those I just fellowship with, and so forth. And to do that, listen, we got to be near to the one that sees all the need, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and then, listen, he had heard, again, he heard that Jesus came out of Judea and was there in Galilee. <clears throat> and we need to have an ear to hear. For him, he heard that Jesus was in town, and we need to have that ear to hear. Remember that, listen, Jesus is always in town. Jesus is here today. We need to have our ear open to that call to cast all our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us. And that seems simple, but sometimes we forget that. And sometimes we're, you know, not hearing the word of God. We're about our own means when it comes to the needs in front of us. And then lastly, and we'll talk more about this here as we go on in this, it says that he acted by imploring the Lord. So he saw the need. He cared about the need. He heard that call to come to the Lord, that the Lord was in town. And then number four, he acted by simply asking. James 4, 2, it says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And how many times where again there's a need and that need's not ministered to simply because we do not ask. We do not come to the Lord. We don't, you know what, ask others to pray and come to the Lord perhaps on our behalf. I shared this before, but over the years I've seen, you know, so many people uh, contract sicknesses and so forth. And I've never kept a running chart on this. But in James 5.14, it says, If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we're called to do that. And I know this over the years, if I were to chart this, I know those people that came to the elders asking to be anointed with oil have a high fire, fire, a far higher you know, rate of healing than those that don't. I can tell you that as a matter of fact. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. The folks that say, hey, I'm sick. And it's them. It says, you're sick. You go to the elders and ask for that. Why? They're, they're, they're taking a step of faith. And it's not that the elders bring any type of healing. You notice it's the elders, not the elder, because as they anoint with oil and pray, again, healing comes from the Lord. Well, listen, there's someone greater than the elders. It's the Lord himself. And this man acts, or he, he, he acts by asking. And not only does he ask, it says that he implores the Lord. And to implore means to ask over and over. And you think about that widow with the unrighteous judge, and that judge didn't fear God or men, but that widow knew only this judge can help my situation. And it says she asked over and over and over again. And he finally said, I don't fear God or man, but I don't want her pestering anymore, so I'm going to give her what she wants. And listen, the lesson of that isn't pester God until he gives you what you want. The lesson of that is you need to recognize God's the only one that can meet your point of need. And that's how she went to that judge. He's the only one that can meet my point of need. So I'm going to go to the one who can meet my point of need over and over and over again. I'm going to bring it to him over and over and over again. And that's what this guy did. Verse 48, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, this was a rebuke. And I don't think it was necessarily a, a rebuke for the nobleman, but it was a, re, a, a rebuke for, again, the Israelites. 
How many times would we see them coming to the Lord asking for a sign? And on multiple occasions, the Lord would tell them a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. You're saying, I can only believe if I see. And listen, seeing is being led by the flesh. We know that again, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God, which goes to your soul versus again, your eyes and your flesh. Even right before this, when he was in Samaria with the woman at the well, we don't read of any miracles at all, right? You don't. You see the Lord showing up, talking to her about water, and then talking to her about salvation, telling her, I'm the the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And through the word of God, she came to a place of believing. And then she went out and told them again what the Lord done. And then they came and heard the words of Jesus, and they believed. And again, these are these high-bred you know, Israelite Gentiles that the Jews didn't even want to touch with a 10-foot pole, literally, and they came to faith through hearing, and yet the Lord rebukes them. This has to be predicated on what happened before in Samaria. It says, you guys have to see, and you're saying, unless I see, I won't believe. And again, faith comes through hearing, not through seeing. Now, could God use seeing to stir our hearts? Absolutely. But ultimately, faith comes through the proclamation of the gospel, the word of God, and that's why we need to proclaim it. Verse 49, it says, The noble man said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And at this point, this and the noble man knows the Lord is his only hope. That's the only hope for his child. And uh, how often do we have to come to the end of our rope before we come to that place? Well, there's nowhere else to turn. Let's turn to Jesus now. No, we want to turn to him at the beginning because any healing that does come and absolutely any salvation that comes, it's only going to come through him. He, he's the one we need to turn from to right at the beginning. Verse 50, it says, then Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Notice he believed the words of Jesus. He didn't believe his own word. You know, as he's imploring the Lord, he doesn't say, listen, my son lives, so I'm going to put faith in my words, and my words are going to create a future, and my words are going to create, you know, life for my son. And, and listen, there's a lot of new age teaching that goes along those lines this, the, today. A lot of that's crept into church. You've heard of the Word of Faith movement. Most of these TV preachers, you know, it from, from Joel Steen to Joyce Myers, they teach you put faith in your words, and you're going to create your future. My son lives, and so I'm going to put faith in my words, and that's going to create my future. You really get into the heart of that. It's very similar to witchcraft that says, I'm going to imagine what I want, and then I'm going to bring it forth through my will. He doesn't do that. He believed the words that Jesus spoke to him. When Jesus said, I'm going to heal him, it says that that's when he believed. He believed in the word of God. And then he rested in the Lord's ability to perfect his perfect will. And when it comes to physical sickness, listen, we don't always know the will of God, right, here on earth. We know that Paul was sick at one point and implored the Lord, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I've allowed this sickness to keep you humble because when you're weak, then I'm strong. And we don't always know God's perfect plan. Now, sometimes he'll give us the gift of faith to I've had this happen to me at times in praying for people where the Lord gave me a gift of faith where when I was praying for them, I knew that God was going to heal them. I knew it. And, and that's where you see gifts of the Holy Spirit 
acting in conjunction. But listen, so many times we, we don't necessarily know on this side of eternity, is God going to heal him? Or does God have another plan in this? But one thing we do know is that we're called to ask, amen? And then we can rest in his perfect will. Lord, we brought it to you. We, we've asked. We're going to ask again. We're going to keep coming before you. We're going to keep asking. But at the same time, we're going to rest. We're going to rest knowing your will is perfect. And I know some people would hear this and go, how can it ever be God's will that someone gets sick? Listen, this noble man's son gets sick. And as we already read, and we'll get to here in a minute, God will use that sickness to do what? To show them the hand of God to bring them to salvation. And that's a glorious thing. So again, he believed the words of Jesus and this is seen not only in, them, in, in God's word recording it, but it's seen in that after the Lord says, your son lives, it says he went his way, but we see that he didn't rush back home right away. It seems that, you know, it's at the end of the day, the seventh hour, according to the Roman, again, clock would be later in the day, and he doesn't rush home, but he just rests in the Lord's words. And when it comes to sickness, when it comes to trials, when it comes to tribulation, listen, we need to be a found of people that are resting in God's word and that are resting in God's perfect will because rest in our soul absolutely always will come against that temptation to be gripped by fear, which is a tool of the enemy. I mean, you get sick and you get gripped by fear. This guy hears the words of Jesus and it's like his burden is laid down and he's resting in the Lord. And God wants us to grow and abound in resting in Him and all things, just believing in God. Listen, if God brings something into our lives, we can say, okay, God wants to work a plan in this. Let me look at my own heart. You know, is, is this happening because of disobedience? Is this happening because, again, the Lord's just bringing a trial to shape me and mold me? But absolutely, we see the man resting. Again, once the Lord says, your son, is, your son lives, he rests in it. He doesn't implore anymore. He just says, listen, I believe this. I'm going to rest in it. And absolutely, that puts down that fear that wants to grip our heart. We also see again that he believed in God's, uh, in Jesus's words, and it activated <coughs> the hand of God. And when it comes to prayer, God wants us to be a people that pray in faith. When we pray for healing, again, it's not us wanting to manipulate the will of God, He's called us to pray, but in prayer, prayer knowing, listen, my God is totally capable and able to heal anybody. And so I want to pray knowing that and believing that. And, and listen, there's so many scriptures on this. Romans, or excuse me, Matthew 9, 28 says, and when he came out of the house, the blind man came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Then he said to him, yes, Lord. Verse 29, it says, Then Jesus touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. According to your faith. God wants us to believe. Again, in Matthew 13, 57, it says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet, and this was in Nazareth, A prophet is without honor except in his own country. Um, and uh, Excuse me, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did many mighty works there, but he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, because they didn't believe. And Jesus told this man, your son lives, and he believed. Faith is a huge thing. Again, it's not faith in our words. He wasn't putting faith in himself. It wasn't, I got to muster up a feeling and so forth, and then what's going to happen now? People think that's what faith is. Faith is believing in the word of God. 
Believing in the person of God, resting in the word of God, resting in the will of God, knowing, listen, we've prayed, we're going to trust God. It's not a lack of faith saying God's perfect will is going to be done. Boy, isn't it better to have faith in God's perfect will than anything else? We've prayed, we ask God, now we're going to rest in God's perfect will. And that's not that scene when we are at rest, not when we're gripped by fear. Listen, when you have fear of what's going to happen next, that's a sign you're not resting in faith in the Lord. Saying, listen, no matter what, the outcome's in God's hands. We've come to Him. We're going to continue to come to Him, and we're going to rest in Him. And that's one way I think we can really test our hearts. Am I gripped by fear right now, or do I have peace that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Also, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For you who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, real quick here, a little, little side note, but I think it's important as we're talking about faith and, listen, what faith brings, and I've, I've gone through this list so many times over the years, and it's real short, how do we get more faith? I mean, I want more faith. I don't want more fear in my life. I want there to be less fear, and I want there to be more faith, more trusting in God. Can we all say amen to that? I'll give you three ways of how to grow your faith real quick. Number one, Romans ten seventeen. So that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, get into God's word. Say, God, give me an ear to hear. The more of God's word you get into your heart, the more your faith will grow. So number one, get in God's word. Secondly, ask for faith. God's a giver of good gifts. Faith is a good thing. Mark 9, 23, it says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. That's why I say, Lord, give me faith. I have a little faith. Give me more faith. Faith should be something we're asking for every single day. So I get into God's word. My faith will grow. I ask for faith. Absolutely, God will grow our faith. And then number three would be acting on the faith that we have. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, now may, he molt, now may he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown to increase the fruits of your righteousness. So again, he says, you've sown seed, and I'm praying there'll be a multiplication of those seeds of righteousness. Listen, when you walk by faith, that's a righteous thing. And when you step out on the little faith that you have, you'll see the faithfulness of God, and in turn, your faith will grow more in Him. So we want to read, ask, we want to act. Quickly here, verse 51. Now, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. What an awesome praise report. Notice that exclamation point there. These guys are thrilled. Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so notice, when Jesus said, your son lives, it was absolutely at that point that the hand of God moved and everything changed. And this should be all the more the reason why we go to the Lord first and we trust in the Lord because, listen, we can talk and talk and talk and oftentimes our words make no difference, especially when they're our words, not versus his word. But at one word, the Lord speaks and everything changes. And this kid goes from being on his deathbed to being vibrant and alive. Also notice here again, this is beautiful, a great encouragement. Again, Capernaum is 20 miles away. The man's imploring the Lord 20 miles away from where his son is. And the Lord did all this from a distance. And you need to remember that. 
There's people not only in your life locally here, but no doubt there's people in your life that live across the country and on the other side of the world, and we can implore the Lord for them right where we are, right in this place. And that's a glorious thing, and we want to act on that. I run into people all the time, and they describe situation. They say, I feel helpless. There's nothing I can do. It's like, Listen, you have the main thing that you can do and you should be doing, whether they're here or halfway around the world, on your face before the Lord, imploring the Lord to move on their behalf. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And then this is huge. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is talking about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A greater healing had come. And the Lord had even used, again, the sickness of the nobleman's son to get him to seek after Christ. And then in seeking after Christ, no doubt, coming in contact with the person of the Messiah, the Savior, brought him to a greater healing, not only to himself, not only just him and his son, but his whole household, which would be his family and his staff and everything else. They all came to this place of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Men, take note of this. The salvation of the household started with the man of the house first seeking after the Lord. We need to be the leaders God has called us to be. Absolutely, us first seeking after the Lord. Listen, in, in most cases, the family's going to follow the lead of the father. And I know there's some fathers not leading, and the mom's in that place of leadership. And listen, God bless you in that place, and I pray that that's not always the case. But we need to follow the Lord, and as we're following the Lord, others will follow as well. And then finally, verse 54 says, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. And again, the first was the water into wine, and now it's healing this nobleman's son. And again, we know that there would be so many miracles in so many places that at the end of the book of John, John said all the books in the world couldn't contain all the things Jesus did. Now, we won't spend a lot of time in the next nine verses. I want to go through this, though, and set up for next week, because next week the big issue isn't that the Lord healed somebody, but it's the day that he healed them on the Sabbath. And the Jews and the, and, and, or the, the scribes and the Pharisees make this big issue because they turned the Sabbath into something that, that, that it wasn't meant to be. And so I want to kind of separate this. And as we've already talked about one healing, let's look at this next one. And then next week we can kind of get into some more doctrinal issues and so forth. And we'll just read it, you know, as we go, just for time's sake. But in verse or chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And we talked about this. Jesus kept all of the feasts, kept all the law according to Scripture, not according to man's tradition. And this is huge, because man starts to try to impose their tradition upon Jesus in this text, and he doesn't have anything to do with it. Also notice here, boy, Jesus is busy, isn't he? I mean, he is just coming and going. And what you find with the Lord is that he never took a day off from serving the Father. Listen, he rested when it was appropriate, but he was always on the move. He never grew sluggish in his service of the Father. And I thought of that specifically when I read this because recently our family devotion was in the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews 6, 11, 12, and I only take a second on this, but it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, 
but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And it just stood out to me. I know I've read that a hundred times, but for whatever reason, it popped at me this time, you know, not to become sluggish. It's so easy to become sluggish. And listen, if your walk with the Lord is sluggish, you need to bring that before the Lord and let the Lord oil that chain, so to speak, with that Holy Spirit anointing to get that sluggishness removed, to get a fresh filling of the Spirit of God. Because again, our time here is short and the fields widen to harvest and the labors a few. Can we say amen to that? Verse 2, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Now the sheep gate pool, it was, you know, water that was used for the temple. Bethesda, it actually means house of mercy or grace. And we'll come back to that in a second. Verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. It sounds like our world today. Sick souls are all about. And, you know, in this case, they see these sick individuals all about. You look around, there's so much, sick, so, so much sickness and souls in our world today. It's just an epidemic. But notice verse 4, they wait around this pool for a reason. It says, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And this is very interesting. Now, listen, there's no reason to believe that this wasn't true. It's written as matter of fact, and it, you know, it to me tells us why Bethesda would be the name of this pool. It was a sheep gate pool, but Bethesda means mercy and grace. And so it seems like it was seen as a place of mercy and grace, a place of healing. And it says here, whoever went in first they would receive a healing. And obviously for all these people to be here, and we'll read about this man who was there for 38 years or was, had an infirmity for 38 years and he was there for a long time. Obviously they were seeing healings taking place that kept them staying around this pool. Because if there's a rumor people get healed there, but no one's getting healed, eventually everyone says, hey, listen, you know, that, that, that's not true. No one's getting healed there. One other note here though with this is that Listen, God can heal when it's His will to heal in so many different ways. At times, He heals just through, again, us imploring Him in prayer. And I think prayer is the driving factor in these things. Sometimes He heals through a gift of healing. I I, I personally don't believe that, oh, you know, someone has the gift of tongues, this other person has the gift of healing. If you have the gift of tongues, you can speak in tongues whenever you want. If you have the gift of healing, you can't go into the hospital and heal everybody. You have to have an upon experience where the Lord gives you that gift in that moment. You pray, that person gets healed. And a fruit of that always going to be God's names in, the, in, 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 in lights. God gets the glory, not the individual. So he prays. Sometimes he'll, he'll, he'll heal through simple prayer. And again, I think that's an umbrella of this. Sometimes he'll heal through a gift of healing. Sometimes he'll heal through using a physician. Listen, Luke was a physician. God used him to write two books of the Bible. Sometimes he'll heal through a word of wisdom. There's many healings to the Bible where it says, hey, go do this. Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine. It's good for your stomach. Um, Listen, the prophet told Hezekiah, go put figs on your boil and you'll get a healing. Sometimes it's through a word of wisdom. Other times we get healed, listen, when we go to heaven. (laughs) And that's going to be that ultimate healing. When, when we go to him, sometimes, you know, there's people that, that, that have a terminal disease and they're prayed for and they're prayed for and, and they're believers in the Lord. And, and, you know, that day comes where the Lord takes them home and we can say, listen, they got healing today. 
They're, they're not in that place of suffering or sickness anymore. God can heal them anyways. And this way, you know, here in verse 4, he healed through an angelic whirlpool, you know. The waters were stirred up, and whoever went in is first got healed. Verse 5, it says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, and he said to him, this is interesting, do you want to be made well? It's kind of interesting. There's kind of two things here. He, he's sick for 38 years, and it seems outwardly he still wants to be healed because he's there at the pool of Bethesda. And at this point, a lot of people say, listen, give it up. 38 years, this is your life. But he's still there. Jesus saw him there. Jesus knew all about him. What an encouragement to us. He sees us. There's nothing that goes unnoticed. He knows all about us. But in this, Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? And we should ask the question, why would the Lord ask him the question, why do you want to be made well? I believe the reason is because there's some folks that don't want healing. No doubt there were some people around that pool of Bethesda that it had become a place of fellowship. It become their point of identity. It become their crutch. It become their refuge. It became their point of community. And there's many people that they really don't want to be freed from their infirmity. They really don't want to be freed from their sin because it's become their identity. It's even become their platform for their voice. And it's not to say that there aren't times that are, there, 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 there shouldn't be a voice for an infirmity, but above all that, let's make sure that Jesus Christ is our identity, not whatever infirmity or whatever thing we're going through. Have you ever come across people that seems to be just like relish having a trial? And if they're not in a trial, they'll make up a trial. How's it going? And whatever it is, all this, and it's all that. And look, you, you know them not by their identity in Christ, but whatever their latest thing is. And this is our world stirring this up today. We see, talk about these angels stirring the water. There are so many people, they want to find an identity with some sort of injustice that's happened to them. You see it all around us. And sadly, you see even in coming into the church where the church is saying, listen, we want to be about ministering to these things people identify with, not to bring them to Jesus, but to strengthen them in their wrestling and struggle versus bringing them to Jesus where, again, real identity and real life is found. And Jesus comes to him and says, listen, do you want to be healed? And he stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to move. Again, of the greater condition of sin, but sadly, again, why does that gate that leads to destruction? And there's so many people that their identity is their sin, and the bottom line at the end of the day, they don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ, even in him offering forgiveness, even him offering sin. I remember years ago, there was a guy in the church, and uh, he was struggling with, with you know, sexual sin with his girlfriend, and he came and he said, hey, you know what, I'm struggling with this, and I need some prayer. And one of the elders began to pray for him. And they said, Lord, take away that desire for this. And in the middle of the prayer, the guy says, wait a minute, I don't want you to pray that. Dead serious about it. He didn't want to be healed of his sin. He knew it was sinful. He was acknowledging it. But then the prayer, take away the desire for that. And it was the desire to sin. I don't want that. Wait a minute, don't pray that for me. Verse 7, we're almost done here. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down for me, uh, before me. I think you can look at this many ways. 
I think you could look at it, the angle from, you know, what his infirmity, you know, it made it difficult for him to get into the water and, and it was legitimate. But I think you could also look at it from the angle of 38 years. You've been there that long and you, you, there wasn't anyone that just got sick of you being there saying, I'm going to roll you in the next time it stirs just so you can be on your way. And, and in a way, you could almost look at this as it was an excuse because Jesus said, do you even want to be healed? And instead of answering, yes, Lord, I want to be healed, he gives an excuse. Now, boy, don't people come up with so many excuses why they can't come to Jesus? Well, I'd come to the Lord, but there's too many hypocrites to follow him. Well, I'd come to the Lord, but I don't need to. I'm good. I'm righteous. Well, I'd come to the Lord, but I'm busy right now. I'll come to him later. I don't need to go to the Lord. There's all, other, all kinds of means for healing. I remember one person once they, they invited someone and, you know, said, hey, the gospel's shared there and so forth. And they said, I drive by that place. I don't like the landscape, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Do you want to be healed? Jesus says to him, verse 8, rise, take up your bed and walk. And so Jesus saying is, rise up by faith and be healed. And it's really the same call. Call upon the Lord and be saved. The Lord was offering the means of salvation. It was like, or for healing for him, are you going to receive it? As the scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you going to receive that or not? Are you going to call on him? Are you going to rise up and call on the Lord? In verse 9 it says, and immediately the man was made well. And took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. So Jesus provided the healing, and praise God, the man acted on the provision of the Lord, and he got up and he walked. And again, it's the exact same thing with salvation. Christ was crucified for our sin. He rose from the grave, and he's saying, whoever will come to me, rise up and walk, because the healing is there. Will you call upon my name and be saved? And again, notice it was the Sabbath. Really a perfect day for healing. Sabbath is about rest. This man went from this infirmity to this place of rest. But next week, Lord willing, we'll see that these religious individuals were more caught up in their tradition than the salvation and the mercy and the grace of God, which is a trap for so many folks today. So with that, let's stand up and we'll close in prayer and worship of our Lord. Well, Heavenly Father, we do bless you today. We praise you. We just thank you that you are so good to us, God. I pray, God, that we would be found a people that are turning to you first, God, that are trusting in you, that are casting our cares upon you. Let us be found a people just resting, God, in, Lord, your ability to bring forth your perfect will, which is absolutely, Lord, perfect. Lord, I want to pray for anyone, even in our fellowship today, that is suffering ailments and sickness, God. We want to pray, Lord, your healing hand upon them, God, knowing that absolutely you are, Lord, as you made us and you sustain us, God, there is nothing that can hinder your hand from bringing forth physical healing when it's your will to bring that forth, God. So, Lord, just have your hand on us as a people and let us be found a people praying for one another and then just trusting in you and resting in you, God. And, Lord, absolutely, we thank you, Lord, that Lord, you have come to this world and, Lord, you went to that cross and rose from the grave to provide the greater healing that's needed, the healing of salvation. And this morning, I hope and pray we all know him as our Lord and our God, our Savior. 
If you haven't called on his name, though, today is the day of salvation. And I can't encourage you enough and, and cannot, you know what, uh, <clears throat> urge you enough to call on his name. As we don't know what tomorrow holds, that, uh, you know what, this day we could stand before him and have to give account for our lives. And he's going to bring out the law. And our life's going to be measured by it. And listen, outside of Christ, we're all going to be found wanting. And God's not going to bring sin and rebellion into heaven. Um, that is going to be a place uh, where those that are not forgiven are in called hell. That Jesus talked about so much because he doesn't want anyone to go there. Listen, the good news is that Jesus has provided again the means of salvation through his shed blood. And this morning, if you haven't called on him, <clears throat> again, today's the day of salvation. And if you're here, here this morning saying, Steve, I want that salvation. I want to call, <clears throat> excuse me, on the name of the Lord. And I want to affirm the faith that's in my heart. I, I, I want to lead you just in a simple prayer. And uh, we've, we've been doing this every week. And listen, I think it's important that, uh, you know what, you don't leave here confused. But uh, you don't have to leave here. Where am I with the Lord? But listen, if you want Him to be your Lord and you have faith in Him, that that's affirmed this morning. And you can leave here with the assurance of your, your salvation, having called upon His name and having genuinely asking, asked Him to forgive you and be the Lord of your life. And so I, I'd, I'd love to just pray with you today if that's you. And I want to invite those that know the Lord to pray with any this morning that would be asking Jesus to be the Lord of their lives. So just, just let's pray together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. I'm a sinner that needs to be forgiven. I thank you that you've provided that means of forgiveness through your death and resurrection. And this morning, Lord, I ask you to forgive me, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I want to repent and put my trust in you. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to pray, God, for just any God, praying that prayer perhaps for the first time or just saying, I want to settle these things. Lord, meet them where they are right now. Shine your face on them. As you begin a good work, we know you'll be faithful to complete that, God. So again, give them a hunger for your word, a thirst for you, God. And just go before, Lord, these brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus. God, we want to finish well and just praising you, God, at this time here. And so, God, we pray we can worship you in spirit and truth right now as we close out our time. Let's worship the Lord. And all to Jesus I surrender all to you I freely surrender 
Listen, we got a full half hour before the next service, so I encourage you to stick around for a bit and fellowship with some folks and just pray God will bless you greatly. God bless you.